Here we go. No more timeouts to take here. Game on the line. That's Williams in motion. Low snap. Melrose stopped. Michigan makes a stand and comes up with a milestone playoff victory. There it is. There it is. What? What a game. What a college football playoff. What a two weeks in sports. And what a show we got for you guys today. Episode 78. We Know Ball Podcast. My name is Ryan. Thank you guys for tuning in. As usual, a little bit off schedule, a little bit off the beaten path here as we record in the middle of the week, as opposed to towards the beginning of the week. Sometimes we do Monday shows, maybe some Sunday night shows. A lot of different time slots to potentially record and react to the world of sports. Because of the unique schedule for the holidays, the last few weeks with... Christmas being on a Monday, New Year's Day being on a Monday, kind of just threw everybody off, right? Threw everybody for a little bit of a loop. You had some bowl games going on on Monday. You had some NFL games going on on Saturday. There's a lot going on in the football realm and the football world. We're going to go pretty much football centric for the most part in episode 78, the one you're tuning into right now. But again, my name is Ryan. This is the We Know Ball podcast. Check us out on social media at We Know Ball Sports, Instagram and TikTok. My handle on Twitter is at Ryan Knows Ball. And we are excited to dive into all things football. You know, I don't want to say for the last time. Because I don't think it'll be like the last football centric episode for this football sort of season. But as is the case, right, the calendar flips over from December to January, college football. There's only one game left, and it is the matchup, the national championship. As you just heard, Michigan taking down Alabama in the Rose Bowl, Washington taking down Texas in the Sugar Bowl. Lots of action, lots of things to talk about. But the final game of the regular or the final game of all of college football, and I I guess you can call it the 2023 season. 
However, it is 2024 now, but the final game, Michigan and Washington in the national championship. Should be an excellent game. You heard the call, the uh, sound bite in the call from uh, the ESPN broadcast of the Rose Bowl. It was uh, Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreit on the call. It was a great game. Went into overtime. Michigan outlasts Alabama 27 to 20. As an Alabama bandwagon fan, it was definitely disappointing to say the least. Uh, and we'll get into that game. The Washington-Texas game, 37-31, Washington beats Texas. That game was incredibly entertaining as well. So overall, it was a really good college football playoff as far as the product is concerned, the competition, the level of play. Uh, but the one and two, which I'm not sure has ever happened before. I could be just completely wrong on that, but the one seed and the two seed advancing to the national championship Interesting to see that. I know some years we've had one versus three. We've had four and three. We've had two and four. So a lot of action, a lot of things to unpack in that college football playoff. A lot of things to unpack, unpacked in the realm of college football because we had some other bowl games that, however irrelevant you may call them, were relevant in the grand scheme of the national landscape and... You know, we'll get into it. We'll talk about all that. We will also talk NFL. We will talk week 17 that just passed over the new year uh, weekend, I guess you could say. Had some controversial situations unfold with NFL officiating. What's new? And then we have the final week of the NFL regular season starting very soon here with some potential postseason implications in play because I love the fact that the final week of the regular season in the NFL, they play a couple Saturday games, but Sunday loaded with games. There's like 15 games on the NFL slate. Uh, it's awesome. It's super fun. There's like five games in the, in the early slate, like six games in the late slate, Sunday night football. Like it's just, it's chaos and I love it. So we'll get into that. We'll get into the playoff structure the uh, implications for the upcoming schedule, some of the storylines going into the final week of the regular season. Got a lot to talk about, and this is our football, pretty much going to be a football-only uh, episode. And I, I mentioned, you know, it's hard because I don't know how many other ones we'll have as football-only. Potentially our next episode, because we'll have the college football national championship completed, the college football season completed, the NFL regular season completed lots to talk about with that but as the calendar flips over we get into 2024 go from december to january the football content and storyline pot to take from starts to shrink down right there's less and less of a sample size there's fewer games going on as the playoffs start, as college football finishes itself. And with that, we can't just go full football episodes. Plus, we've got baseball around the corner. we got March Madness. It'll be here before you know it. The NBA season is kicking off, heading into its uh, all-star break situation. So lots to talk about. We'll get into it, and it'll be a football-only show for today's episodes. Hopefully, you guys enjoy it. 
and we're going to get straight into it. So we talked about the college football playoff, New Year's Day, lots of entertaining games to consider. Uh, There was some other high-ranking matchups in the college football world. You had some other top 10 matchups with number nine, Missouri against number seven, Ohio state in the Goodyear cotton bowl. Now Missouri beats Ohio state 14 to three. It's a good win for Missouri as a program Uh, for Ohio state. I mean, they had a shell of a team, right? Um, Kyle McCord opted out or uh, entered the portal. Marvin Harrison jr. Going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft. He sat out of the game. Makes sense. Understandable. Don't have an issue with it, but Missouri had all their guys. Uh, They had Schrader. They had Cook playing quarterback for them. Uh, You know, so it was kind of like Missouri's A-minus team versus Ohio State's C-plus team. And I'm not making an excuse. It's Like I said, it's a great win for Missouri, but uh, Ohio State, you know, it's not the same team that we were accustomed to seeing this season. So Missouri beat Ohio state 14 to three. It was a pretty low scoring game for the most part. Offenses had a hard time getting things going, but it was entertaining and it's good for Missouri as a program. I think it's, uh, you know, it's good when more teams start to become relevant and enter that top 10 realm, top 10 conversation, especially as we go into next season and we turn it from a 14 playoff into a 12 team playoff teams like Missouri are going to be in the national conversation more often than they have at any point in the past. And I think that's good for the sport. I think it gets more fan bases involved. It gets more regions of the country involved. Um, You know, Ohio state's going to be around the mix of the top 12 for probably as long as any other program. But for Missouri, it's, it's not often for a program like Missouri to be in that top 10, top 12 conversation here. They are not only in the top 10, but getting a win uh, in a New Year's Six Bowl, good for them. Uh, good for that program. The other game, the top 10 matchup was, of course, number six, Georgia, and number five, Florida State. Georgia beats Florida State 63-3. to three. 63 to three. I understand the entire situation. I get it. I know Florida State had a lot of guys opt out. I know. I understand. Sixty-three to three could be a product of a lot of different contributing factors. You've got a team like Florida State. Guys are opting out. They're pretty dejected, not extremely motivated, right? 
However, although I think it'd be the opposite. I would, I would have thought Florida State would have showed up with a chip on their shoulder and been pissed off. And then you got a team like Georgia who comes off of a loss, loses their chance to compete for a national championship, has a couple of guys opt out, including their best offensive player and first-round pick Brock Bowers at tight end. But a lot of their other guys on offense were around to contribute. And they were playing with maybe something to prove to show that they wanted or needed to be in the top four. Uh, not entirely sure. There's a lot of different contributing factors that could have led to 63 to three between Georgia and Florida state. One of the excuses I'm not going to hear about Florida state getting hammered by Georgia is, Oh, Florida state had a bunch of guys opt out. Um, so did Georgia, Georgia's best offensive player did not play in the game. Even if Florida State has Jordan Travis and has their best offensive weapons, their receiver, uh, Keenan Cole or Keon Coleman. That's right. Keon Coleman. Even if Florida State has Jordan Travis and Keon and they played that exact same Georgia team instead of 63 to 3 it might have been 48 to 17 different but not really and the problem with Florida State going into the playoff coming into the season the whole discrepancy about the college football playoff. How did they get left out? All those questions were answered and it becomes, it, it becomes glaringly obvious what the actual issue was with Florida state and them missing the playoff and the rankings and all that stuff. The actual issue was they were just ranked too high to begin with. And when you come out with those initial rankings, when you have those top five teams and they continue to win games on a week in and week out basis, it's hard to just drop them down unless they're barely beating like FCS teams in triple overtime. That wasn't the case. Florida state was playing some decent opponents throughout the year. And ultimately they remained undefeated, played in the regular season, played in a power five conference, didn't lose a game. So in the eyes of most people, well, if you're ranked fourth and you didn't lose a game, why would you drop out of the top four? Why would you drop from a spot that you rightfully earned? That's not true in the case of Florida State. And as it turns out, Florida State probably, probably should have been in the realm of 13 to, to eight or nine, somewhere, somewhere around 10. Even as an undefeated team, based on the competition they played, how they performed against that competition, strength of schedule, all the different factors that are really hard to quantify, hard to adjust to when you're playing a sport like football and you only have 13 or 12 games to base 
a team's entire performance off of. And I know, I know, I know Florida State had a bunch of guys opt out of the game against Georgia. Georgia had a lot of guys opt out too. A lot of guys opted out for Georgia. Georgia's best offensive player opted out. And Florida State, sure, potentially a shell of what they may have been. But that Florida State team you saw against Georgia wasn't a whole lot different from the Florida State team you saw in the ACC championship against Louisville. So it becomes obvious that Florida State was just simply ranked too high. That's it. It's not a big deal. It's not like Florida State's some garbage dumpster fire team and they're way overhyped. And like they were really good. They were really, really good. But even with Jordan Travis, even with Keon Coleman, even with all those guys healthy and readily available and an excellent defense for Florida State. Realistically, at 13-0, and 0, they should have been ranked probably 9, probably 10, somewhere in there throughout the range of the entire regular season. And even after they won the ACC. And it's no disrespect because that's a really good high ranking. But you watch just any part of the New Year's Six games. Not only the game against Georgia with Florida State, but the other games in the college football playoff. And it becomes glaringly obvious that the committee got it right. Everybody was losing their marbles. Everyone was so self-righteous when the final college football rankings came out. Everybody wanted to come to Florida State's defense. How dare you? They deserved it. They're entitled to it because they're undefeated and they're a power five conference champion. Um, they're not entitled to anything. Doesn't mean that they just get in automatically. I mean, there's an argument when everyone's healthy, everyone's readily available for all these teams going into conference championship weekend. Based on what we saw from Florida State against an SEC opponent. There's an argument that Florida State should have been behind Michigan, Alabama, Washington, Texas, Oregon. Ohio State, Missouri, Ole Miss. There's an argument for that. But everybody became this self-righteous sportsmanship. Oh my gosh, Florida State. How could they possibly have been left out of the playoff? Oh my goodness. They got robbed. They deserved it. 
And then they played Georgia. Everyone watched the college football semifinal games. And nobody said that. They watched Florida State. Yes, a shell of themselves. But they played a Georgia team who's also a shell of themselves. They watched the Rose Bowl. They watched the Sugar Bowl. And all those self-righteous Florida State diehard defenders. Crickets. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, if Alabama beat Georgia, competed pretty well with the number one team in the country, Michigan. Yeah, they're probably better than Florida State. Yeah. Washington undefeated. Texas competes with them down to the very end. Yeah, those teams are both probably better than Florida State. Georgia also probably better than Florida State. Yeah. Just find it funny. Just think I I it's not a big deal. It's not like I, I my goal is not to completely just hammer Florida State and just dump on them because they were a good football team this year. They were a very good football team. Really good. Top 10, which is a huge achievement. New Year's Six Bowl worthy. No question about it. But everybody invented this. Oh, undefeated power five champion automatically you get a spot in the playoff not how it works now 12 team playoff florida state obviously they're in right but you want to get the bye four seed whatever became glaringly obvious they played georgia they got absolutely rinsed everyone watched the college football playoff eyes brain regular information processing for human beings. Oh, uh, Florida State wasn't even close to a top four team. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. They were good. They were really good. They weren't top four. Just becomes obvious. They were ranked too high to begin with. It's not a big deal. It's not Florida State's the worst team of all time. No, really good team. Not top four. Ranked too high to begin with. Because then when they get ranked that high and they don't lose, they have to stay up there based in the eyes of these random people that vote on it. But ultimately it just, they were ranked probably a little too high. A shell of a team, Florida state. I get it. A lot of opt outs. Jordan Travis is hurt. Yep. All makes sense. Totally understand. Georgia had a lot of opt outs. Kind of a shell of themselves as well. A lot of defensive guys didn't play for Georgia because they're going in the first round. Georgia beats them 63 to 3. And Alabama beat Georgia. And Alabama takes Michigan to overtime. Yeah. The whole tidal wave of Florida state defenders and lifers and people that were outraged that Florida state got robbed. 
I don't hear any of that anymore. So next time there's a discrepancy. Let's let things play out a little bit. Let's consider competition and let's consider level of play leading up to the college football playoff selection before everybody jumps on the rankings in the committee because it turns out they got it right. Wouldn't you know? And if Florida State, if Florida State played Michigan in the Rose Bowl, Final score, 35 to 7. Minimum, 35 to 7. Maybe less guys opt out for Florida State. No, definitely. Florida State doesn't have the opt-outs. But they still got to roll out Tate Rodemaker. And even if they have Jordan Travis, they still lose to Michigan. And they would still have lost to Georgia if they were healthy, just got screwed out of the fourth spot, had everyone available. Georgia still beats them pretty good. Michigan beats them. Alabama would beat them. Washington would have beat them. Texas would have beat them. It's, it's okay to admit that a team was just ranked too high to begin with. It happened with USC. USC got ranked really, really high this year. And then they started playing against okay competition, barely beating people. Their reasons were a little bit different than Florida State. And Florida State was winning comfortably in most cases. USC was not. But... USC was staying undefeated and they were dropping down in the AP rankings every week. They would come down a spot or two spots because they didn't look great and their competition level wasn't super high. So they would drop a little bit. They were ranked too high. They would start dropping Florida state was ranked too high. And the only time that happened when they were in the top four and they dropped was right before the last week of the regular season. They were at four and they dropped the five because the committee was like, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know if these guys are that good. They're not bad. They're really solid. Definitely top seven to 10, but top four, then Ohio state loses and they just automatically slide up into that spot based on the fact that they won. They were the last, the fifth seeded team on how state lost. They slide to four. But it is what it is. And it's not the end of the world for Florida state. Okay. And moving on to those college football playoff games. Specifically, you got the Rose bowl. You got the sugar bowl. Michigan beats Alabama. Washington beats Texas. Um, I think there's three things that can be entirely true in the Rose Bowl between Michigan and Alabama. 
three things that decided that entire game. Three deciding factors in the Rose Bowl between Michigan and Bama. Number one, I think Alabama is the better football team going into the game, and I actually still believe that they're the better team. That doesn't mean you win every time for the better team, but I think Alabama's better. Number two, I think Michigan and the coaching staff from Michigan outcoached Alabama's coaching staff for the entirety of the game. Every single short yardage, crucial uh, conversion moment, fourth down, goal to go, must have it situation. Michigan ran an offensive set that had Alabama completely confused. Alabama was missing defensive assignments. Their blocking schemes on the defensive side of the ball would get blown up. Michigan and their coaching staff outcoached Alabama's coaching staff significantly. And that's a situation that comes with experience. We'll get into that here in a second. And number three, if Alabama's center was able to cleanly snap the ball into Jalen Milrose's chest and not have any issues with the center and quarterback snap exchange during the game and every snap came back clean to the chest, Alabama also wins that game. That's my opinion. Number one, you watch the game. Alabama's offense, when it started to get its groove and started to execute and had exchanges in the snap from the center to the quarterback coming back cleanly, Alabama moved the ball down the field at will. And that was in the third quarter. The first half of the game, Alabama's pass, or Alabama's offensive line was getting dominated. Why was it getting dominated? Because number two, the second factor about that game is that the defensive scheme, the complicated uh, packages that they were coming at Alabama's offensive line with, the stunts they were running on the defensive line, the different looks they were going to bring, oh, pressure's from the right, actually it comes from the left. They out-coached and out-prepared Alabama and their coaching staff. They just did. So Alabama's players better than Michigan's players. Michigan's preparation and coaching better than Alabama's in that game. And if the exchanges between the center and the quarterback, but in Alabama's offensive spectrum of the game would have been clean every single time Alabama still wins the game, I believe. That's just my opinion. All three things can be true. Three things can and are true about the Rose Bowl. Famous players, better than Michigan's players. Michigan's preparation and coaching, going into the game and during the game, better than Alabama's. And the exchange between the center and quarterback is apparently taken for granted. Because if the exchanges for Alabama were clean throughout the entire game and they never had an issue with the snap, they win. That's a fact. 
And I'm not even talking about the final fourth and goal play where if you watch it and you see that the play is drawn up and designed for Jalen Miller to follow the pulling guard, the fact that he has to bend over, take a step back, gather the snap, throws off the timing, even if it is a half second, throws off the timing of the entirety of the play and leads to Milrow having to just dive into the pile and ultimately come up short on fourth and goal. Not to mention there was a bad snap earlier in the game, a bunch of plays where Miller had to bend down to catch the snap. The type of quarterback that Jalen Milrow is, the type of passer that he is, the type of plays that they call for him in the pocket are timing and rhythm throws a lot of the time. And when the snap's low and you have to bend over, you have to take a gather step, then you have to stand back up again. You have to assess where everybody is. Instead of having your eyes downfield and just catching the ball sort of as a second nature type thing where you're barely even looking at it, you can catch it, grab the seams, you know, whatever. It throws everything off. And I'm not making an excuse. That's part of the game. It's part of it's part of everything. Michigan didn't have a problem with it all game. That's that's uh tip your cap to them. Hats off. Guys did it, you know, center quarterback exchange, clean, no problems with it. Didn't even have to talk about it, right? Didn't even have to talk about it. So Michigan prepared better and ultimately it led them to success. It led them to a victory. And I'm not discrediting it for Michigan. I'm not making excuses for Alabama. But I did feel like this outcome of this game, walking away from it, was more that Alabama beat themselves than Michigan flat out beat Alabama. But that being said, Michigan's defensive line, legit. And one of the main reasons they won the game. Michigan had a lot of dropped passes. Michigan had... Uh, some self-inflicted wounds, muffed punts on multiple occasions. They did a lot to try to give the game to Alabama. But Alabama beat themselves in more ways than one. Milrow fumbling, dirty snaps, almost muffing a punt on their side on special teams. It felt like Alabama going into that overtime period was playing with house money because they had played a bad, ugly, sloppy, low fundamental type game, and they were tied with Michigan going into an overtime period. But the Alabama team that played against Georgia and the Alabama team that played against Michigan, two completely separate teams. Big discrepancy in execution confidence level offensive scheme preparation they just looked completely out of whack against michigan Jalen milro was airing it out against georgia hitting guys across the middle regularly picking up chunk plays in the air and on the ground and then maybe this is a tip to michigan but didn't even look close to the same. And I'd say Michigan and Georgia's defenses are right there, one and two, probably in the country. It's not a disrespect to Michigan. They absolutely earned it. Michigan absolutely deserved to win, earned that victory. It's not a disrespect to them. I just feel like walking away from that final score 
felt more like Alabama beat themselves than Michigan dominated and, and won that game outright. It's no disrespect. They scored more points. They won the football game. Congratulations to them. They deserve to be in the top four. They deserve to be in the national championship. They played an excellent game, especially their defensive line and their secondary. Holy cow. Nobody was ever open for Jalen Monroe. Nobody was open. And the only chunk play that Alabama got in the entirety of the game was a throw down the field in the silo by Milrow. That was like a Tom Brady throw, perfectly thrown. Otherwise, there was nobody open the entire game. And half the reason no one was open is because the defensive line was in the backfield before Milrow could even have a chance to throw the ball down the field. So hats off to Michigan, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But I didn't feel like, oh, Michigan won this game. They were the better team. I think Alabama beat themselves, clearly. I mean, having problems with the center quarterback exchange in game number 14 of the season, like, how is that even a thing? So uncharacteristic from Alabama. Jalen Milrow fumbling. Extremely uncharacteristic. Defensive assignments just being blown. Guys being left wide, wide open. Consistently. Uncharacteristic. But, you could talk about that being Alabama beating themselves. The other way to look at it that I also think is entirely true, Michigan's coaching staff, Michigan's preparation, better than Alabama's coming into that game. They seemed more prepared. They seemed more relaxed. They were obviously and clearly more experienced having been there last year. Outcoached Alabama's coaching staff. So takeaways from the Rose Bowl and three things that are entirely true. Number one, Alabama had better players in the field. More talented, more athletic, better team. From a player perspective. Number two, Michigan's coaching staff and Michigan's preparation was significantly better than Alabama's. They had better plays drawn up in crucial must-have situations. The stunts they were running on the defensive line, the defensive secondary they had, the communication, they were fully prepared and they were ready to play Alabama and ready to handle anything Alabama threw at them. So their prep their preparation and their coaching much better than Alabama's before and during that game. Number three, if Alabama has a clean exchange between the center and the quarterback throughout, throughout the entirety of the game, and it's not even a storyline, I think Alabama ultimately comes away with the victory. Sounds crazy to say, but I think it's true. That being said, all three things are true. They didn't have a clean exchange. That's part of the game. That's part of football. Michigan outlasts Alabama. They deserved it. They earned the right to get there. They earned the right to get into the national championship. They played unbelievable defense. And they take down Alabama. So good for them. And the last thing on that game, I just want to make sure people like, I don't, I don't know why that play with J.J. McCarthy is not getting talked about more. The pitch to the running back who throws it backwards to J.J. McCarthy, who one hands the ball, palms it, doesn't get the laces, with a defender bearing down on him, throws a ball doing a 360, takes a shot, and delivers it perfectly down the field to a receiver who catches it in stride for a 25-yard gain or whatever. Like, I'm not really sure why that play is not being talked about as, like, 
maybe historically one of the greatest plays in the history of college football. Why is that play not getting talked about more? Unbelievable play. Like, oh my God, unbelievable. Unbelievable. There are like two guys in college football that could make that play. Like one, one or two. I mean, first of all, you have to be as tall as J.J. McCarthy. Number two, you have to be as athletic as J.J. McCarthy to catch that ball one-handed. I mean, like, if he doesn't catch the ball cleanly, it's a backwards pass. It's a fumble. Probably a turnover. Changes the entire spectrum of the game. So not only does he avoid the turnover, he palms it, no laces, delivers an accurate throw down the field for a massive game. Huge momentum play. Like, crazy, unbelievable. Why is this play not getting talked about more? Like, one of the most incredible football plays and displays of athleticism I've ever seen on a football field. Why is this play not getting talked about more? I saw it happen in front of my eyes. I saw the pass go backwards right away. Saw it start to sail on the running back, and I was like, oh, he caught it with one hand. Oh, he threw it down the field with a linebacker in his face and just got the throw off. Oh, it's accurate. It's a 20-yard gain. Oh, my God. Why is that play not getting talked about more? Like, college football playoff, Rose Bowl game against Alabama, they have the wherewithal to call that type of play. And even to execute it, period, is pretty impressive. But the the range, the spectrum of, of risk-reward or worst-case, best-case on that play the needle on that play from J.J. McCarthy went from, oh, my God, this is worst case scenario to, oh, my God, almost entirely best case scenario. I mean, best case scenario is touchdown. Second best, giant chunk play. And that's if everything goes well. That's if the throw back from the running back is accurate. He can catch it cleanly, has time to throw, and then delivers it down the field. None of those things were true. It was a bad throw from the running back. In fact, a really bad throw from the running back. Backwards pass. He palms it. Doesn't grab laces with a defender in his face and delivers a throwing, spinning dart down the field to his receiver who catches it. And picks up a chunk for a first down. I mean, it's got to be like, I don't know how like that. You talk about those plays, right? I mean, it's like, it's like, uh, you know. Tua to Devontae Smith to win the national championship. It's Vince Young on fourth down. Running a ball into the corner of the end zone to give Texas the national championship. It's Boise State against Oklahoma. Like. That's got to be up there with one of the best plays of all time.
And I don't know why it's just kind of like one, like maybe it was the momentum of the game, maybe because there were so many other big plays, maybe it didn't come down to that. And maybe that wasn't like a deciding play, but also could have been disastrous play for Michigan. And JJ McCarthy almost maybe single-handedly saves Michigan's rear end by not only not having the play blow up in their face, but then turning it into a massive gain. Unbelievable, 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 unbelievable. Hats off to JJ McCarthy. I'm telling you, you're you're really not going to see much of a better, a more athletic play from a quarterback in that moment, in that type of game, than you'll see from JJ McCarthy. It's got, it's like really like has to be one of the best plays in the history of college football. And for some reason, it's not being talked about in that way. It needs to be. It's a crazy play. JJ McCarthy, freak, freak athlete. The other game, of course, the Sugar Bowl. Texas and Washington, number three, Texas, number two, Washington. Washington outlasts Texas, 37 to 31. Washington almost chokes, chokes, chokes this game away. Big time almost chokes it. Uh, 28 with like, three or two minutes left. Texas moves the ball enough down the field to make a field goal and make it a six point game. Washington gets the ball back. Texas only has two timeouts. Washington, or maybe Texas even had one timeout. Washington needs a first down to stop the clock. They don't get it. And Texas doesn't have any timeouts and they run a third down play. With the, the clock was stopped, they ran a third down play. Don't get the first down. Texas doesn't have any timeouts. Was Would have been able to run the clock down to like 20 seconds. There was like a minute left. Could have ran it down to 20 seconds. Washington running back goes down with an injury. Now, sucks. Hope the best for, uh, I think it was their starter. But it stops the clock. So Texas saves 40 seconds of play clock and game clock. Gets the ball back with about 50 seconds left. And on that ensuing punt from Washington to Texas, Washington special teams guy, I think it was a long snapper, runs into the Texas punt returner who called for a fair catch. Fair catch interference, 15 yards. Then Texas picks up like 60 yards in three plays, a couple of chunk plays, and gets down to basically fourth and goal from fourth and 11 from the like 15 yard line basically takes a shot at the end zone. I mean, had a chance to score a touchdown and tie the game and then would take the lead with the extra point. Ultimately it doesn't end up happening. Texas doesn't score the touchdown and Washington beats Texas in the sugar bowl. Uh, a lot of things to take away from this game. I don't know if uh, I don't know. I, it's I had a, had a hard time getting the, the thoughts in my brain right for this game. Had a hard time like really putting it all together. Don't really know 
I don't really know. I don't really know. Because time and time again, when I've brought up Washington on the podcast, when I've had any opportunity to talk about the team on social media, to my buddies, like any time, I've said they have a great offense. They don't have a great defense. I think they're a good football team. I think they're probably top 10. I don't think they're up there in the same realm or the same conversation as Michigan, as Alabama, as Georgia, as Ohio State, as Texas. I've said it over and over. And yet, here we are. Now, the third time this season that Washington's come into the game as a the betting underdog and been an outright victor. Just won the game straight up. Really, really, really impressive. Like, really impressive. Uh, I don't know how Michael Penix's arm action, delivery, style of play. I don't know how it's going to go or how it's going to translate to the NFL. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'd like to say it won't translate well. But I've said the same thing about Washington as a team for the entirety of the season, that their style of play won't translate well against good opponents. And yet, here we are, and Washington is in the national championship. There's two takeaways for me from this game. Actually, three takeaways. There's three takeaways from this game, the Sugar Bowl, the Washington-Texas game. Uh, number one, Michael Penix is really good. I mean, he's just, he's just really good. I don't know how it's going to translate to the NFL. I don't have a, a crystal ball. I'm not a fortune teller. I'd like to think based on how he just kind of slings it openly and has a little bit of an awkward arm delivery and isn't the tallest guy on the planet. And it has taken him five years to really sort of flourish in the college football world that it won't translate well to the NFL, but I don't know because I've doubted him his entire career along with a lot of different people, not only him, but the Huskies and he and the Huskies are in the national championship. So Michael Penix is good. I mean, there's really not really much you can say he's really, really good. Like he's really, really good, except for the fact that he's also had some like stinkers this year. So the lack of like, repeated consistent like high level performances right i mean he carves up texas he carves up oregon and then he can barely complete a pass against washington state like it's kind of weird i know that's the game of football it's hard to expect a guy to just be an absolute monster every single week however i i mean michael Penix, when the moment's big and the lights are on no question the guy's going to step up and perform for you that's takeaway number one Takeaway number two, Texas in this game against Washington seemed to be a little bit unprepared. Uh, the team we saw from Texas in week two against Alabama is not the same team we saw against Washington. Texas was a team that was designed to beat a team like Alabama. They were not designed to try to keep up with a team like Washington. If Texas got into a game that turned into a track meet, which is exactly what the Sugar Bowl turned into, 
they weren't able to consistently keep up with that. They could score, they could match scores for the first quarter, maybe even the first half, got it, get into the third quarter. They didn't have that speed. They're big, they're physical, they're defensive line team, they're an offensive line team. But Washington's got speed everywhere. Speed everywhere. Not necessarily the biggest team, not necessarily the most physical team. But Texas and Washington, it was a bad matchup for Texas. Texas against Alabama, perfect matchup. Exactly how Steve Sarkeesian drew it up. Big physical line of scrimmage play. Stop the run game. Fill the gaps between the tackles, and you're going to win. And that's exactly what Texas, protect the quarterback, right? And then take some shots, come out with the victory, score 24 to 30 points at the most, hold the opponent to 17 to 20, get the victory. You give up 30 plus, like you're going to against a team like Washington, not going to be victorious for Texas. It's not to say Texas isn't a good team because Texas is a really good team. They were a good team all year. Uh, but again, kind of like that Oklahoma game that they ended up losing when it comes down to a shootout and it turns into a little bit of a, you know, opening up the field, spreading out the defense, keeping up with an offensive caliber team like Washington or what the way Oklahoma played in that game that they lost. It's tough. It's tough for Texas. They can keep it close, but it's a, it's a coin flip. On the flip side, Washington, they're designed for games like this, right? So that's why I think Washington, you know, is able to outlast them. Last takeaway is uh, you can talk about Penix and his translation to the NFL. You can talk about some of the offensive schemes that Washington decides to run. You know, some of the things you can get away with in college and the offensive side. All those things are true. You know, it's it's fair to to be hesitant on a guy like Penix and the NFL translation. I get it. All that stuff can be true. One thing that's also true, Romo Dunze is going to be a problem, a problem in the NFL. It, Rome, dude, Romo Dunze is like, he's like, he should be like a top five pick. I, he's. Whoa, 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 whoa. Crazy, crazy good. I mean, he's got everything. Size, contested catches, hands, route running ability, separation, acceleration, stop on a dot. He's got everything. I mean, we're talking like, we're talking like Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, uh, like he's going to be right up there with those guys. He goes to a, an offensive system and he falls down into the middle of the draft or uh, middle of the first round, I should say. He ends up with, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. He ends up with. Burrow ends up with Will Levis, Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, Kirk Cousins. Like, 
he can end up with a lot of different quarterbacks. Kyler Murray. I, I'm not listen. I, he's a monster. He is a monster. I'm telling you right now, please do not sleep on Roma Dunze. Dude, the guy is crazy. Crazy. I wanted to look up NFL wide receiver uh, prospect rankings, right? Is that what the best thing to do would be? According to Pro Football Focus, number one's Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, that makes sense. Number two, Malik Neighbors? Uh, maybe I just didn't watch enough LSU games. So here's, so, okay. So, okay. So here's my deal. All right. You got Romo Dunze on the NFL draft board as the third wide receiver and the number 10 overall NFL prospect. Marvin Harrison won big board rank number two. Malik name Malik neighbors number two receiver, big board rank number five. Roma Dunze, third wide receiver, big board rank number 10. Same thing here on NFLDraftBuzz.com and CBS Sports. has oh my god cbs sports has him at number five nah that's crazy nah that's crazy cbs sports has him at number five keon coleman ahead of ahead of roma dunze If you have Roma Dunze going, let's just say 10, he drops to 10 or he goes at number 10. According to Pro Football Focus, right? Big board, he's got him at 10. The Bears have the number 10 pick. Justin Fields, Roma Dunze. Let's say he slides a little bit, right? Maybe he goes 16. Joe Burrow, Roma Dunze. I mean, give me a break, right? Maybe slides to 19. Jordan Love, Roma Dunze. Give me a break, dude. Guy's a monster. He's a freak. That's my biggest takeaways from all those. One, stop questioning or doubting Michael Penix. Number two, Texas built for a certain style of play. Also, just a little bit inexperienced, right? Sarkeesian's first time in the playoff. All those other guys' first time. In the, I mean, I'm just Washington's, uh, I guess it's their second, but like, I don't know. It's just uh, kind of how that game went, you know? Also, Texas had some turnovers, sloppy, right? Just uncharacteristic. Um, but yeah, I think 
Penix is good. Texas is a little bit of an inexperienced and uh, matchup-specific type of roster construction. And number three, Roma Dunze is an absolute monster. Absolute monster. So, yeah, that's it. Uh, in terms of the national championship, we've got Michigan. We've got Washington. The spread on the game is Michigan minus four and a half. The over-under is 55 and a half. My gut tells me to take Michigan because they're good and they play good defense and Washington's off defense is not great. Indoor controlled environment. Turf. Offensive weapons. Every time, every time Washington's been an underdog, they've won. This pick is going to be tough for me. We'll see where it ends up. It's like, do I fade my gut? Do I fade the fade or do I fade my fading of the fade? Right? Do I fade? Do I take my gut? Michigan four and a half. Minus four and a half. Do I fade my gut and take Washington or do I fade my fading of my gut and go back to Michigan? Brain scramble. Don't know. Got to wait and see, see where things plan out. I think, uh, you know, the Washington starting running back is questionable. So that may be a decent enough thing to consider. We'll see what happens, but it's going to be, you know, set up for a great, great matchup between Michigan and Washington. Um, good for them. Two 14 and 0 teams. Ooh, yeah. Love that. Let's go. Should be a good game. Sad that Alabama lost. No question. Uh, felt like they were playing with a little bit of house money. Also felt like they accomplished a lot of really good things, beating Georgia, winning the SEC. Right. So, uh, for Texas, good for them. They're back. No question. They're back. They're heading to the SEC. I mean, what a better thing. I mean, I guess winning the national championship, maybe. Maybe that's the only other thing that you could have you're going to the national championship and the game's in Houston. So, I mean, that would have been a almost a Texas home game. That would have been crazy. Uh, but. You know, good for them. Good springboard heading into the SEC. Um, yeah, and it was a good year for college football. We'll talk about the national championship uh, next episode, but should be a good one. Hoping for a good game. And that's it. Uh, bouncing over to the NFL and we won't, we won't spend a whole lot of time here because well, missed some scores for last week. Uh, we're looking at some seeding situations here. Mostly the shockers after last week, right? The Cardinals obviously beating the Eagles. Uh, Ravens just hammering the dolphins, like hammering them. Uh, Steelers beating the Seahawks was interesting. Uh, Cowboys Lions. There was some controversy at the end of that game. Honestly, I don't really want to talk about the, the referees. I mean, they're just a complete joke, right? They're a joke. Like the NFL refs this year, like I mean, it's 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 laughable, right? 
Uh, they've just been horrible, especially primetime games, big time games, big moments. They've been horrible all year. They've been bad. And the NFL definitely doesn't care. Definitely doesn't care. Um, upcoming matchups for this week, right? You've got uh, Steelers and Ravens. Uh, you've got. Well, got a lot of different games. Steelers Ravens should be interesting. Ravens are resting all their guys. They got the one seed. They, you know, they're set. Uh, Texans Colts. Absolutely massive game. I think winner is in the playoffs. CJ Stroud will be back. Bengals Browns should be interesting because the Bengals need a win to get into the playoffs or at least a shot. Browns are resting their guys because their seating isn't going to change. Uh, Saints Falcons is interesting, except if the Bucks beat the Panthers. Uh, Rams 49ers, maybe Bills Dolphins. Bills Dolphins is uh you know that's the probably the biggest game that's winner wins the AFC East um that's Sunday night Bills are ten and six Dolphins are eleven and five in Miami should be really interesting um as it goes now with the playoff scenario the one so here's we'll go playoff scenario AFC to NFC one seed is Baltimore clinched locked done Dolphins right now. As it sits, are the two seed. Chiefs are the three seed. Jags are the four seed. Five seed is Buffalo. Six seed is Buff. Five seed is Cleveland. Six seed is the Buffalo Bills. Seven seed is the Colts. So, Colts and Texans play each other. The Texans are at the, the number eight seed. The winner of that game, they're in the playoffs. The Bills are six. The Dolphins are two. And they're separated by a game in terms of the record. So, Winner of that game claims, uh, you know, claims their spot, whether it's the Bills at the two seed or the Dolphins at the two seed will, will yet to be seen. Uh, Chiefs have clinched the division and also, I believe, their position in terms of uh, Z clinch division. Yeah, so they clinched the AFC West. I'm not sure. Maybe they can fluctuate with Jacksonville, but I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Anyways, they're a division winner. You know, they're going to get a home playoff game. So as of right now, the home playoff games will be in Baltimore, Miami, Kansas City, and Jacksonville. That is yet to be determined. And yeah, there's a couple of games in the uh, AFC. You know, there's one two, three, four, five teams for the last three spots. The Jags lead the division. They lead the AFC South as of right now. But if the Jags lose and they play the Titans, if the Jags lose, one of the teams between the Colts and Texans is going to win. So one of those other teams would win the division. Now, I don't know what the tiebreaker. I think the tiebreaker would go if the Steelers win and the Jags lose. Yeah, 
the Steelers would be in, the Jags would be out. So yeah, there's a lot to be determined. Interesting to see. In the NFC, there's a lot more. Uh, there's just everything's really tight. Um, you've got the NFC one seed is the 49ers. Looks like they've all but locked that up, I believe. Um, the Cowboys are the two seed right now. The Lions are the three seed right now. The Bucks are the four seed at eight and eight. They're leading the NFC South due to tiebreaker mostly. And if they win, they're in. The Eagles are the five seed. The Rams are the six seed, and they've also clinched a playoff spot. Interestingly, so uh, the Rams are in the playoffs. Good for them, I suppose. Seahawks are eight and eight. The Packers are eight and eight. The Saints are eight and eight. And then the Vikings are seven and nine. The Falcons are seven and nine, but they're still technically alive for the postseason. Still technically. Uh, because the Falcons, seven and nine, are playing the Saints. If they beat the Saints, they'll have the tiebreaker over the Saints. And they need the Bucks to lose. The Bucks are playing the Panthers. That's not going to happen. But you never know. Theoretically, mathematically speaking, the Falcons could get into the playoffs and host a home playoff game at eight and nine. I hate that. I don't want that. Could happen. Probably will happen. Super lame. Packers, Seahawks, Saints. All eight and eight. All vying for that last playoff spot. It'll be interesting to see. Um, Seahawks play the Cardinals, right? Theoretically, let's go win that football game, Seattle. Packers play the Bears, right? Theoretically, Packers at home. Go win the football game. You're in the postseason. And then the Saints play uh, the Saints play the Falcons. And it's like, that's kind of a toss up. Uh, I think if you're a Seahawks fan, you need the Packers to lose. You need the Packers to lose big time. So yeah, so it's, it's a, it's going to be a good week, a good regular se- a good finale to the regular season. And then we're going to be right into the postseason, going to get into the wild card, then the divisional, then the conference championships, then the Super Bowl, then football will be over and I'm going to cry myself to sleep. No, but not actually. Uh, so yeah, football only show, football only episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 78 of the We Know Ball podcast. My name is Ryan at Ryan Knows Ball on Twitter at We Know Ball Sports on social media, TikTok and Instagram. If you're, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to check us out on YouTube. We got all the clips on there. Got some reaction videos. Got all kinds of other stuff on there. Um, and otherwise, if you guys, I don't know, if you guys enjoy it. Be sure to let us know. Check me out on Twitter. Give out some gambling picks. Give out some sports betting insights. Some banter. All kinds of fun stuff. Hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 78 of the We Know Ball podcast. Again, my name is Ryan, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Peace. Peace.